0: Do you have any New Year's resolutions? We're going to talk about resolutions and goals uh, on those cards. How many of you want to get in better shape this year? Wow, three people. We did not... Wow. Okay, good. That kind of nullifies what I'm fixing to share with you, but I'm going to share it anyway. Uh, a guy went to his doctor, and he was asking his doctor some questions about physical health, and uh, he asked, is chocolate bad for me? And I love what his doctor said. He says, chocolate's great for you. It comes from the cocoa bean. The cocoa bean, depending on how you split it, is a vegetable or a fruit. Eat chocolate. How many of you would like to go to that doctor? So like today, when I'm, I'm having my third Milky Way, and my wife says, what are you doing? I'm going to say, I'm eating my fruits and vegetables, right? He asked the doctor, he said, is swimming good for your figure? And the doctor said, if swimming is good for your figure, explain the whale to me. It takes a moment, but that is funny. I think it is. Doctors, it important that I get in shape. Hey, round is a shape. Don't you like that? My doctors never tell me anything like that. Conflicting medical news. Listen to this. This is, this is interesting. It's talking about heart health and, and living longer. It says the, uh, the Japanese eat very little fat, and they suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Mexicans eat a lot of fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Chinese as a whole drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Italians drink a lot of red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans. The Germans drink a lot of beer, eat a lot of sausage, and eat a lot of fat. And guess what? They suffer fewer heart attacks than Americans so the conclusion was, eat and drink what you like this year. Speaking English is apparently what kills you. So, <laughs> We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. Josh, turn that little clock up right there, because if I don't see the clock, I could just get mesmerized by my own sermon, and we'd be here all day. So um, Luke chapter 12, and we're going to talk about, really, we're going to talk about something that is so important to your 2017 and, and for you uh, living it well. And, and here's the first question. Are you ready to die? You go, oh, that's not positive. No, it's, it's the most important question that you can ever be asked. Are you? Now, I'm not saying like you want to die right now. Hey, I just, you know, I, I, I hope I die this afternoon. No, I'm not asking that. That'd be silly. And you would be a psycho if you, if you wanted that. Um, and you go, well, I'm a teenager, or I'm in college, or I'm a young adult. That, that question is not relevant to me. Man, read the papers. People die of all ages every day around the world. I, I, death is, is not waiting until you're 80 or 90. It it comes when it's supposed to come for you. Are you ready to die? In Luke chapter 12, Jesus, verse 13 and 14, and we're going to go through 21, Jesus encounters the man with a question, and it gives him a chance to, to lay out a tremendous answer about life, someone in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, Rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." But Jesus said, "Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over your case?" Now it, it, it sounds like Jesus is kind of being mean, man, who made you? But that's he's kind of saying, "Hey, buddy, uh, who, you know why are you asking me that question?" Now, why he was asking that question? It's assuming these are Jewish people, and, and Jewish people would ask their rabbi, their religious leader, these kind of questions. They didn't want to go to a religious court. And so if they had a a question that may involve their money, they were going to ask their, their, we'd say their pastor, their rabbi. Now... What's interesting is the Old Testament law, if you're taking notes, had already said how the inheritance would be. In Numbers 27 and Deuteronomy 21, it said the oldest son gets two thirds of the inheritance, and then the other sons get one third. I'm the oldest son. That's a great deal, isn't it, right there? So apparently, this, younger, this was a younger son, and he felt like his brother was cheating him, and he's wanting to get Jesus involved. And Jesus isn't being rude, but here's what Jesus said My purpose was not to be here to help you settle inheritance. In fact, I'm going to use this question Jesus does to jump into something that's far more important. Look in verse 15. And he said to him, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not a- consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, he's saying, when he says take care, is what Jesus is saying. Sit up, pay attention. And then he uses the word guard because danger is right around the corner. And he uses the word covetousness, and covetousness is an ugly word. It's the desire for more. I've got to have more home. I've got to have more TVs. I've got to have more clothes. I've got to have more things. I've got to have more toys. I've got to have more gadgets. And it's the thought that if I have these things... That's what's going to make me happy. That's what's going to make me a success. That's what's going to satisfy my life. And it's interesting, Jesus says, beware of all covetousness. See, it's easy to say, well, only rich people are greedy. That's how they got rich. Listen, you can be rich and greedy, but you can certainly be dirt poor and greedy. It, it has nothing to do with how old you are, or how much money. You, you can be rich and be very generous and not greedy, or you can be poor and be very generous and not greedy. Jesus says, guard your hearts about greed when you start focusing on that life is about possessions and getting more and having an unquenchable desire for stuff, you are going to get in trouble. And in verse 16 through 18, it says, Jesus taught him a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my Now, scholars say that the person Jesus is using here would have been someone who had a lot of land, a lot of uh, property... And and this would have been an uber-rich person. This would have been the the upper 1% of Jesus' day. Now, back then where Jesus lived, and this is true in a lot of places in the world, is that you had poor people and really wealthy people. America, we're very blessed. We have a a middle class. But you had poor people and very wealthy people. This is a very wealthy man. Now, uh, these stats are two or three years old. But if you were going to be in the top 1% financially in America you would be making about $1.15 million a year. Some of you are going, well, that's not much money. And most of us are saying that's a lot of money to make in a year. You'd have a net worth of about eight, $8.5 million. This is a wealthy person. And it's interesting, in Galilee, where Jesus grew up, and, and very well where this may have taken place, they have found, archaeologists in recent days, they have found storage bins that, that date back 2,000 years ago, where we'll, very wealthy people were storing their grain. And to help you understand this, these storage bins are our, are our picture of a bank account. It's a bank account. In other words, this guy's saying, I've got so much money, I've got to go build my own bank. I've got to buy more safes. I've got to, man, I've got to diversify my investments more and more and more because I've just got so much. I've been so blessed. It's so wonderful. But look at verse 19. And he says to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. It's interesting. Jesus uses the word soul there because he's getting to literally the heart or the soul of the matter. Your soul is your immaterial part. I mean, you lose a finger. You don't want to have a finger chopped off, but your soul is still there. You can lose body parts. Your soul is still there. Your soul is who you are. And so this guy in this story is getting to the root of his heart, my soul. Now, it's also interesting. You see how he says this. I will say to my soul, soul, he's talking in the third person. Do you know what talking in the third person is? People do it on TV sometimes, and it sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? It'd be like me saying right now, Chris is preaching. Chris loves to preach. Chris thinks he's a good preacher. Chris's church members think Chris is delusional you go, who's he? He's talking about somebody named Chris. We're talking to the third person. I'm talking about me. So you can see a little bit of an ego here in this guy. And he says, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. How many of you, I, don't raise your hands because you, you won't, but you ate, drank, and you were merry over Christmas, weren't you? My wife did the silliest thing ever. She started her, her New Year's diet on January the 1st. You don't start that till like January the 20th, Right. January the 1st, and I had to like push her away from my ice cream because she was trying to get me to start too. Anyway, I don't know why I got off on that. But eat drink, and, eat, drink, and be merry is good. But in Jesus' day, this was a sign of hedonism. In other words, here's what this guy's saying I've got it made. Man, I've got a huge house. I've got a ton of money in the bank. I've got cars. I've got power. I've got position. I don't have to do anything the rest of my life but just party and enjoy life. And everything is great until verse 20. This is a young man. But God said to him, you fool. By the way, in Matthew 5, it says never call a person a fool. The only person that can call someone a fool is God. This night, your soul is required of you. And all these things that you have prepared and obtained, whose will they be? In other words, what does it matter the word fool is a very powerful word. It means a senseless one. It's an egotistical person who doesn't think about God. See, you can be extremely educated. You can have an IQ off the chart and not be wise at all. If you don't believe me, watch the news. <laughs> and Jesus says, man, you're a fool. You've got everything But you don't have God. Now, listen, if you're taking notes or if you're taking mental notes, Jesus doesn't condemn him because he's rich. He doesn't condemn him because he had a great harvest. He doesn't condemn him because he plans. Money in itself is not evil. The Bible says the love of money is evil. Planning is right, that's God's way. Thinking ahead is smart. God condemns him because God was not in his plans. And he was self-sufficient without God. And he was going to die that night and not be ready to face God. And in verse 21, this is the way it is for anyone who lays up treasure for himself but is not rich towards God. This week I saw a report that billionaires live 3.5 years longer than the rest of us. I don't know if we have any billionaires in here. If we do, you're hiding it well. And I thought, why do billionaires live longer? Well, they, they, they've got access to the very best of health care. They're probably smart to, to get to where they've gotten. They take care of themselves. They, uh, they're able to eat right. Not that any of us aren't, but they have cooks and chefs and all this. But you know the bottom line? Billionaires die too. George Bernard Shaw said it very well. The statistics on death are one out of one. Everybody dies. And the question this morning, again, we're going to end this positive, but this is such an important question. Are you ready to die? Are you ready to die today? Here's how we'll answer this. The first is this. Are you truly a Christian? Now, let's define this because this is is a confused term. Probably in America as much as anywhere. You've been baptized. You've been sprinkled. You've been christened. You've joined a church. You've walked an aisle. You're a Baptist. You're a Methodist. You're a Catholic. All that's great. None of it makes you a Christian. Have you repented of your sins? Do you believe Jesus is God's son who died and arose? And have you surrendered your life to him? I mean, have you genuinely crossed the line with Christ? That's how you become a Christian. And are you willing this morning to bet your eternity on what you've done with Christ up to this point? Many of you here today can say, yes, I am. Okay? Then I have another question for you Christians. If you are a Christian, are you ready to face God today? It's easy to go, wait a second, Pastor, this passage is for Non-Christians, this is one of those evangelistic sermons, this doesn't apply to me, sorry, wrong answer. This applies to you and me profoundly as Christians. In verse 17 through 19, the, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store all my crops, all my money? I will do this, I will tear down my barns, I will build bigger ones, larger ones. There I'll store all my grain and I will say to my soul, So, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God steps in the picture in verse 20. And again, I say he's a young man, because this guy wasn't expecting to die. But God says, you fool, you foolish, thoughtless, senseless person. You're going to stand before me tonight and give an account for how you did life. Folks, I do not understand this, but the Bible says it. I'm going to show you in two places. I don't understand how as a Christian I'm going to get into heaven, but I'm going to get spanked before I get in or I'm going to be rewarded, but that's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive what is due for what is done, what he did in the body, whether good or evil. Almost all scholars say this is talking to Christians here. I've heard people say, well, as a Christian at the judgment, all it's going to be is, you know, participation trophies and you look good trophies and pat on the back trophies. Wrong answer. That says that we're going to give account to God for how we live. In 1 Corinthians 3.15, it it, it says this even more powerful. If anyone's work is burned up, that's talking to believers. They're going to suffer loss. They, They themselves will be saved, but only as through fire. One of my dear friends in Texas who's in heaven today, his name was Ed. We called him Big Ed. Big Ed used to say a lot of Christians are going to get to heaven, but they're going to smell like smoke when they get there because of this verse. You say, well, my favorite preacher doesn't preach it this way. Tell your favorite preacher to preach the Bible. Sorry, I'm not being ugly. That's what the Bible says. And it's my job to lay the truth out to you today. And let me say it again. This guy's not condemned because he's rich. He's not condemned because he plans. He's not condemned because he had success. He's condemned because God was not in his plans. Many of us are Christians, and God is, He is secondary to us. He's, he, we work God in. We fit God in. God's not in your plans, really. It's, it's interesting. Please don't count it right now. you are hurt my feelings. Eleven times in three verses, He uses the personal pronoun, I or my. My barns. What am I going to do? My life. My stuff. A little boy was asked by his English teacher, what is a a personal pronoun, I, me, and mine? He said they're aggressive pronouns. That's what they are, aren't they? Because it's about me, mine, my. Let me ask you this morning, such a crucial question. Let's say tonight at 10 o'clock, you're standing before God, Christian. Are you ready to face that? I'm not asking, are you ready to leave your kids and your family? And are you ready to face God tonight? I've been a pastor for about 30 years. And I've got two observations I'm going to share with you. One is the ministers. We have have ministers here. We have ministers on our staff. We may have some that are watching this morning or that will watch it later in the week. Here's what I've observed about ministers who are going to stand before God someday. Some are wonderful they got feet of clay. They're not perfect, but they love God and they try hard. They're swinging for the fence and they're sincere. Missionaries, ministers all over the world. But I know other ministers, people in my position, youth ministers, missionaries, who aren't sincere, who are selfish, who aren't good shepherds, who take advantage of people who are in it for the money. And I live with that thought. We're going to stand before God someday, Josh, as ministers, and give an account for how we've lived. Here's what I've observed about church members in 30 years. Some of them are just absolutely the best people on the face of the earth. They love Jesus. They love people. They give. They serve. They do. They're all about Jesus and others. But here's another class. There's other church members that come to church when it's convenient. They give what they want to when it's convenient. They serve where they want to or if they want to. They want to control the church. They want to fight their ministers. And I say to you, Out of real love. Do you want to stand before God someday and give an account for that? Yeah, God, I kept my church in line. I beat my preacher down. Josh, do we want to stand before God and say, yeah, I beat my people down? I took advantage of my church. See, this is serious business, Christian. One of the things I try to live with, if not every day, almost every day, is what if today's the day? I have a pain in my chest. I think of two people, Billy Smith and Jesus I hope I see them in that order. (laughs) But what if I stand before God today? Verse 21, it says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. Christian, how do we stay rich before God? We love God. We love people. We serve God. We give. We spend our life trying to make the world better in the name of Jesus honored. Amen? Amen. You're not going to do that perfectly, but when you do that with all your heart, I promise you, you will stand before God someday, and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well, my tithe's not much money. God's not looking at the size of the gift. He's looking at the size of the sacrifice. God's looking not what you can't do for him, but what you are doing for him. And that's awesome how God judges us that way and plays it out that way. Here's a good story that I think helps us understand how we play this out. A rich, very rich couple in Dallas, Texas. Some stocks were cashed in and they became a lot richer. They went to their pastor after they had made this decision, but they said, we're struggling. We, don't know, we didn't know if we wanted to refurbish our house or we wanted to help some ministers and some missionaries with the money. We didn't know if we were going to help ourselves or help them. The pastor finally said, tell me what you did. They said, we did both. We fixed up our house and we blessed other people. That's great. Very few of you is God telling you to sell everything, go live in a tent. What he's telling you to do is maximize your life now for him and for other people. Walt Rogers it, preached last Sunday morning here at 845. Savannah and Remington, his, two of his kids are here this morning. And please tell him that I referred to him as a very old bald preacher, okay, Remington? But Walt, I was having lunch with Walt this week, and here's what Walt said. It's a great, great acronym, using the word life. Walt says, if you want to stand before God someday and it to go well, live intentionally for eternity. It means that right now, you're, well, I'm just 20 years old, you may face God tonight. You may live 70 more years, but wouldn't it be great to live to be 90 and that you poured your life out for God? Live intentionally for eternity. Christian, that's how we get ready. Wake up. What what are you waiting on? I'm going to get, I I used to live for Christ. I'm going to someday. You've got today, live intentionally for him today. Now, here's the second part of this. If you're not a Christian, you are not ready to meet God. You're not. I'm biased. I'm a Christian, and I believe the Bible, so everything I'm telling you is coming from the Bible. I, that, that's my bias. But you're not ready. In verse 20, he says, You fool, this night your soul is required of you, and everything that you had down here is not going to matter at all. You see that word required there? That, that was a biblical term that means that someone had a legitimate claim on something or someone. God has a legitimate claim on you. And someday God's going to call you and me and we're going to have to give an accounting. Now, I think everyone in here would agree with me that you're going to die. I mean, you hope it's a long way for now, but everybody dies. Statistics are one out of one. What happens after that? Pat Tillman was a great football player. Played for the the Arizona Cardinals. After 9-11, he gave away or did not sign a multi-million dollar contract and joined the army. Became an army ranger. During his second tour of duty in Afghanistan, he was killed. And everything I've ever read about that guy or seen with that guy, he was an awesome person. And that, but I don't know where he was with Jesus. I hope he was where he needed to be. But at his funeral, his brother one of his brothers spoke, and here's what he said about his brother. He said a lot of good things. And he said, hey, Pat's not in heaven today. Pat's not in hell today. Pat wasn't religious. Pat's just dead. Can I tell you something? You and I don't make the rules about that. And I like that guy a whole lot. He doesn't make the rules. I don't make the rules. Hebrews 9, 27, it says, man is destined to die once, and after that comes what? Comes the Judgment. In Revelation 20:15, it says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You see, God believes in a place called hell. God says hell's real. I, I saw from GQ magazine several years ago, they were saying what, what they thought hell was really like. And it was, it was kind of funny because it, it's so hard to get our heads around the biblical concept of hell. They said hell will be having a cell phone with no charger for eternity. It would be having to watch the Cleveland Browns play over and over and over. <laughs> if you don't know anything about football, that'd be brutal. Hell would be like having a basketball-sized kidney stone that you had to pass every day for eternity. You know, as bad as that may be, God says hell's far worse. Hell's separation from him. It's hopeless. God says it's a place of terrible suffering. And God says that if anyone is not in a relationship with him when they leave this earth that's where they're going you go well I got a lot of money my family's got a lot of money that's not going to help you one bit when you leave this earth I used to pastor in the college station Texas area And, and before I got there one of my men told me a story about a man in that community I never met the man didn't know him but they struck oil on his property a lot of oil and he owned the mineral rights. And I don't know how they do oil in Texas now or how they do it in Louisiana, but this is in the late 1980s. And what they would do is they would, they would say oil's on your land, they would get to work, and then normally five or six months later, you would get a huge first-time check, and then you would get monthly checks. His first-time check, his first check, was $1 million after taxes. $1 million. $1 million. Check came in the mail. He goes to the bank to deposit the check. He has a heart attack in the bank and dies right there. I have no idea about his relationship with God, but I know this. That $1 million check was not going to help him one bit when he stood before God that very day. You know what a rich person in a poor person's house looks like? Let's see the houses here, Brian. That's a Methodist preacher's house on the left and a Baptist preacher's house on the right. <laughs> you, know, you, you know what a, a rich man's grave and a poor man's grave looks like? You get it? You see, when you stand before God, your gold card, your, your portfolio, your checking account, none of that's going to have any influence at all. Well, I got a PhD. Well, my family's important. I run Rustin. God's going to say, That is so cool. I run the universe. None of that's going to matter when you stand before God if you don't have a relationship with Him. Last year at Cook Baptist Church here in town, a really cool thing happened. A 94 year old lady named Ophelia White became a Christian and got baptized. Apparently, she had been baptized like a lot of us when she was a kid and thought she was a Christian. At 94 years of age, she realized she was not ready to meet God. At 94 years of age, they baptized her. That is so awesome. And after she was baptized, she said to the people, she says, it's never too late to settle things with God. That's what I want to say to you this morning. You're a Christian. It is not too late right now to get right with God. If you're here today and you're you're, you're 50, 60, 20, 80 or 90 and you're not a Christian, you can get right with God today. I want to tweak what she said just a little bit though. It's going to be too late the minute you die. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, man, I want to challenge you right now with all my heart to do whatever you need to do to get right with God. No games. Pull the facade off. Get right with God. If you're not a Christian, you're unsure if you're a Christian, and you're ready to cross that line with Jesus today, and you're sincere, pray with me. Pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and rose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. Here's what I want you to do. Maybe you'd like to join the church today. You can can come find me or one of our ministers after church and join. Or when we stand, you can come. You can come join us. You need a church home. Today's a great day to make that happen. You're a Christian this morning. I want to challenge you. Please, let's get real with God. Maybe where you're standing, maybe this morning it needs to be on your knees down here at the altar, or praying with a minister. But let's live intentionally for eternity, Christian. Let's put aside the games. Let's get ready today to start getting, to be ready to meet God when that time comes. Some of you just prayed and you asked Jesus into your life, or you're ready to do that. I want to ask you to do something, I know it's hard. But I want you to leave your seat. Get a family member, a friend, to come with you if you need them to. Come talk to one of our ministers. Let us help you with that. I promise you, a hundred years, a thousand years from now, you won't regret one second that you did that. Let's stand. You come. We'll be.